Hi, and welcome to a special edition of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal objectives, financial situations, or needs. So today, our special episode is on inflation. We're seeing a lot of noise around inflation, so we're going to cover what's happening at the moment, how the market is reacting, and how to find robust companies that can withstand inflationary changes or have measures in place to protect them. Okay, so before we get into today's episode, we have an update on our imaginary beef with the equity mates. So, right, we said this, I think, during our last episode. And And I was horrified. And you were horrified, but of course, (laughs) it was a joke. But then somebody posted about it on the equity mates Facebook page. And so, Shani, this happened, or at least I discovered it. Sunday morning, and I was texting you about it. Mm-hmm. And we were going back and forth. Should we respond to this or not respond? And we ultimately decided not to respond on the page. Yeah, well, I'm glad that it seemed like most people understood that it was a joke, um, that someone did post a gift from Lord of the Rings that was calling to go for war. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that seemed like an overreaction to what I thought was a joke. I think we both had beers with them after the event. We both liked them. So... It's a little it's a little bit strange, right? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the other thing that we should talk about is our beef. Our beef? Yes. So do you remember on Friday we were supposed to go to lunch and then you turned me down and I ended up eating alone. <laughs> yes. So this is really petty that you're bringing this up on the podcast. <laughs> well, I've been thinking about it for, okay. for a number of days. But uh but anyway, speaking of petty, Shawnee said right before we started this that she doesn't know who Tom Petty is. She never heard of him. I I feel like that's pretty reasonable. Will said that he had only heard of him because he watched the Grammys. Yes, he only heard of him because he's a famous singer or was a famous <laughs> singer. I don't, well, I, prom- I don't understand. That's like I've only I've only heard of this movie star because I watch movies. <laughs> well, I promised to listen to some of his songs on the way home, so I'll do that. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> should we should we maybe maybe get started with this yeah. thing, or do you want to update people on your water bottle? What's the what's the story? No update. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no update. So we're going to talk about inflation. Yes. Okay. So did you know – so I pulled some stats for you, Shani, because you love stats. I do. So did you know between 1986 and 2020, the average annual inflation rate in Madagascar was 4.19%? <laughs> did you also know that our fan in Madagascar did not listen to our last podcast, although somebody listened in Mauritius – so I don't know if maybe our fan flew a couple hours. Okay. So I think you're getting a little bit obsessed with Madagascar. And like, if you are the listener in Madagascar, if you could please email Mark because he is obsessing over this. <laughs> and I don't think I'm putting it lightly. You talk about this literally every day, at least a few times. Well, from now on, I'll be talking about Tom Petty yeah. and <laughs> you blowing me off for lunch. Yeah. Okay. So... We'll get on with the episode, but uh, <laughs> we've seen an uptick in inflation outside of Madagascar, Mark. Um, so in simple terms, prices of almost everything are going up. And the reason we're seeing this is because economies are slowly starting to open from severe lockdowns. So businesses are opening back up. And many of these businesses were wary of rocking the boat during COVID and held back on increasing costs for consumers in a struggling economy. Adding to this, there are supply bottlenecks. So goods and services are not meeting the demand to increase as the economy recovers faster than 
than expected. And we're also seeing a spike in the cost of commodities feeding into quite a lot of industries and driving the cost up. So we're seeing economies open back up, demand not being able to be met by supply, and we're seeing spikes in costs that are getting passed on to consumers. And if we're looking to quantify this jump, we can look at CPI, which is the Consumer Price Index. And as a quick refresher, uh, the Consumer Price Index measures household inflation and includes statistics about price change for what we spend money on, so groceries, petrol, transport, etc. And the Consumer Price Index in the US jumped four to 4.2% in April. And if we look at the period between 2011 and 2020, the average rate was 1.75%. And this drastic jump has caused concern in the market as it significantly exceeded market forecasts of 3 for the 12-month period leading up to April. Okay, so 4.2%. So this isn't Mm -hmm. exactly the Weimar Republic and people aren't (laughs) showing up to buy eggs with a wheelbarrow full of cash, right, Shawnee? But that inflation, of course, that led to the rise of Hitler and World War II. It's not where I expected this episode to go. So (laughs) Tom Petty and Hitler? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Exactly. But uh, what do you think the impact of this rise in inflation is going to be? So after the inflation data was released, we saw US stocks tumble, the Aussie market followed suit, and we saw government bond yields rise. And ultimately, investors are concerned that rising prices could prompt the Fed to move on interest rates sooner than we all expected. So that's where we're at now. So what now, Mark? Yeah, well, you know, as you know, we're an investing podcast. We're not economists. So we're certainly not here to predict where CPI will go or how markets will react. However, we can look to history and look at how different types of investments have reacted to inflation. And hopefully this can inform you all as investors in case we do see inflation return. So specifically, we will look at stocks that have built-in inflation protection or those that have specific types of moats that perform better in inflationary environments. And how have markets reacted so far? So equity markets have taken a tumble, as we said, but specific parts of the market have taken more overbeating than others. So we've seen tech mega stocks like Tesla, Apple, and Microsoft lose their footing on inflation scares, with the Nasdaq Composite, an index with a high tech concentration, down 5.43% between Monday and Thursday last week after the news, with a slight recovery on Friday. High-growth tech stocks, which get most of their value from their future profits, those companies are expected to earn, and they become less valuable if inflation decreases the value of those earnings. Okay. So when we look back to February and March of this year, we saw slumps in the NASDAQ when fears about higher inflation were first circulating. So Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Apple hit peaks in February, but now as a group are trading at around 13% lower. And then we spent some time talking about Kath Wood's tech-heavy ARC Innovation ETF in our episode on fund managers. So last year, it achieved 151% return, which is pretty breathtaking. But as we stand and now it's lost a third of its value. And we've seen the market continue to rise this year, about 10% for the S&P 500, and that has masked a pretty significant sell-off in tech, which perhaps is caused by fears about inflation. And the rotation towards value that we've seen slowly happen in the last six months is extending through 2021. And again, that's because evaluations for these tech companies in particular are based on expectations of future profits. And as inflation decreases the value of those earnings, investors see these companies as less attractive. We've seen the valuation levels of growth companies rising as rates have fallen. If interest rates go up, we could see the opposite happen. Okay. So before we go and look at specific companies, Shani, let's just talk about inflation in general. So central banks have two different mandates. They want to promote full employment and economic prosperity, 
and they want to contribute to the stability of the currency. And it's that last part of the mandate, the stability of the currency, which means that central banks are supposed to control inflation. And that is why the market's reacting the way the market is, because either inflation goes up or interest rates go up, because that is how central banks control inflation, and that is how the bond market reacts to inflation, demanding higher interest rates. So let's explain why. A bond provides you with two things as an investor. Most bonds are fixed rate, which means you get a certain amount of interest that's paid for you at set intervals, and then you get a set amount of money back at the end of the term of the bond. All of those payments occur in the future. So as we said, inflation means the purchasing power of the money is eroded. And if the money you're getting back in the future is worth less, or even if you think that money you get back in the future is worth less, then you're going to demand a higher interest rate as a bond investor to compensate you for that risk. Okay, so higher bond yields, of course, make bond prices go down, and that is bad for bond investors. But if you don't invest in bonds, you might be thinking, why do I care? Well, the problem is that bonds are used to fund not just governments, but also corporations. So if borrowing costs go up for companies, that is bad news for shares. And remember when we had the bonds episode, Shani, I told you they were important. Do you remember that? (laughs) I do. Okay, well, this is another reason why they're important. Okay, so let's turn our attention to equities. The reaction of shares to inflation uh, is a little bit more nuanced. So inflation, of course, means that the price of raw materials that companies use to make their products go up. So that can mean everything from commodities to wages. And the question, of course, is can the companies pass along these increased costs with higher prices? All right, so we'll get into some specific company examples, but first let's start at a sector level. So traditionally, in inflationary environments, certain types of companies perform well. So that includes commodities, it includes real estate, basically companies that have real assets. They do well when inflation is rising. So we'll also talk about how companies protect themselves against these pressures. So first, there's the proactive approach. And this proactive approach is most common in infrastructure and energy companies when they have measures protecting their earnings from inflation written into their contracts or government regulations. So one of these companies is Transurban, a major toll road investor with concessions to operate 14 Aussie and three North American motorways. Concessions grant the right to operate the roads and collect tolls for predetermined amounts of time. And these are usually extremely large sums of money over a long period of time. And as you can imagine, changes to inflation could have significant impacts to earnings for companies like Transurban. Okay, so how do they actually account and protect from inflation? Well, typically, concession life and toll profiles are negotiated prior to a road's construction. And the intention, of course, is to provide a fair return for investors. So tolls increase in line with the consumer price index or an agreed-upon fixed rate, though some roads with meaningful competition have dynamic tolling, such as Transurban's U.S. investments. So when concessions end, the company returns the roads to the government for no consideration, basically no money, after they've repaid all of their related debt and hopefully made returns for their investors. Another company is Sydney Airport, and Sydney Airport, like most publicly traded airports, further capitalizes its dominance through unregulated income streams like retail, car parking, and land development. So the company contracts out a high portion of its retail store space and collects minimum guaranteed rent, and that's linked to CPI or passenger numbers, plus additional concessions above that threshold. So Sydney Airport doesn't break its retail profitability down, but our analyst who covers Sydney Airport, Alex Praneus, he thinks that retail and car parking segments have significantly higher profitability compared to their aeronautical revenue. So Sydney Airport has decent protection from any significant changes to inflation. And you might know Sydney Airport well because you were telling me yesterday that you want to learn how to fly. (laughs) 
I do. I was looking for a hobby and I sort of jumped to the most expensive thing, which yeah. is getting a pilot's license. Yeah. It, yeah. I was actually going to, I was going to clarify that you want to learn how to fly a plane, yes. not just learn how to fly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Learning to fly is actually a song. Guess who sings that? I've forgotten his name already. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tom Petty. Tom oh Petty. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> hopefully you can't hear my eyes rolling through the uh, through the podcast, but that's the proactive approach that we described. Then there are companies that have protection built in just because of the strengths of their business. And this is where moats come in. So we talk about moats a lot, and that's because we think that they're one of the indicators of a great business. So as a quick refresher, a moat is a source of sustainable competitive advantage that can protect a company's future earnings. And there are two factors in particular that will protect companies in this environment the environment when prices are rising. So one of those is pricing power, which can be attributed to most sources of moats. Although we're talking about keeping up with inflation. So when inflation is going up, pricing power is an invaluable tool because you can just pass that on to consumers. And pricing power is the ability of the business to raise prices above inflation without impacting sales or losing existing customers. So as we briefly brushed over at the beginning of the episode, what's happening is when COVID-related lockdowns were implemented, a lot of businesses were quite wary to raise prices just because of the sensitivity of the market. Unemployment went up, discretionary spending went down, savings rates went up. There were a lot of factors going against businesses and raising prices would have added to this. So we saw a suspension of price increases even with costs rising. And now that economies are starting to open, lockdowns are lifting, unemployment is down, people are spending money. Businesses have seen this as an opportunity to increase revenue, mainly through raising prices. Yeah. So the fact that the inflation rate is going up now means that the purchasing power of money has decreased. And this means that in real terms, businesses, whether they've raised prices or they didn't, there's less value in those earnings. So which businesses can continue to maintain revenue without drastically impacting demand for their products and services? Well, one business that has significant pricing power is West Farmers. And of course, moats are not the only consideration for a good investment. West Farmers is currently trading as a one-star stock, meaning that it's overvalued in Morningstar's eyes, but it still does have a wide moat. And that means that we expect it to achieve excess returns for at least 20 years. Yeah, and West Farmers is a wide moat company largely due to cost advantage from the significant scale and the difficult-to-replicate store locations of its Bunnings business, which represents over half of group operating income after its demerger from Kohl's. So Bunnings dominates the Australian home improvement retail sector, and we estimate its market share is close to 25%. And Mark was telling me when we were um, practicing this episode, he's actually only been to Bunnings once, and he's never had a Bunnings sausage sizzle. I, I haven't. So um, how can you even call yourself an Aussie, mate? I, I still went once, <laughs> and I uh, I bought a torch when I was there. You did, yes, yes. And would you like to explain what kind of torch it was? Because yeah. I was quite confused. Well, no, you were confused, but I've used it in front of you. Yeah. So you know, a torch like not a torch like a flashlight, what I would call a flashlight. A torch like fire comes out of it, mm-hmm. and. 
I'm not much of a man, so I was not doing <laughs> – I don't even know what you would actually do with them in any sort of construction sense, but I used it to caramelize the top of sushi that I made you. <laughs> it was delicious. It was really good. It was really good. It was really good. Um, yes. So we <laughs> we do believe that Bunnings has pricing power because of its efficient scale, um, which is another moat. Bunnings scale generates significant bargaining power with suppliers, for example, when sourcing products or negotiating rents with landlords. And the chain passes along a large portion of these savings and operating efficiencies to its customers. And Bunnings' strategy has been to grow volumes over profit margins, broadening its range, investing in service, and continuously cutting prices to grab market share and build a loyal customer base. Yeah, so then that's really the gist of this whole thing, right? So instead of increasing prices to maintain revenue, Bunnings also has the ability to drive costs down, which is also pricing power. And there's also intangible assets. So our second factor is focusing on one thing in particular, and that's brand. So brand is an intangible asset for a company and is a huge driver of price and the ability for a company to charge consumers a premium for their product. And here I'm going to name a company that many Aussie coffee snobs turn their nose at, which is Starbucks. In Morningstar's view, Starbucks has brand strength, which is evidenced by pricing power, attractive unit-level economics. It successfully replicated its business internationally and strong results in the retail channel, underpinning its brand as an intangible asset. Starbucks has an ability to generate excitement and traffic, and we see this through an impressive comparable sales growth in the core US market, while spending less on marketing than category peers, reinforcing the importance of the brand and its impact on results. Okay. So, Shani, what is the takeaway? What can we as investors actually do with this information? Yeah. So, um, instead of thinking about individual risks, it's worth thinking about the behavior of investors. So, we've seen a change in the dynamic of investors and more retail money has piled into the share market in 2020-2021 and with it, a lot more short-term behavior. We've seen a disconnect between what is happening in the real economy compared to the market. So, we saw this through COVID with economies shutting down, but the market's reaching record highs. We saw this in the space of last week, just as we saw the noticeable drops in the US and then in turn Aussie markets. As soon as Thursday hit in the US last week, markets hit a bounce back. And although, as we said, we're not economists, there seems to be a term that most are throwing around and that's transitory. They believe that the supply bottlenecks, the price increases, all of these pressures are transitory. And when I was researching for this podcast, I saw a comment and I usually don't troll through the comments on articles like Mark does, but one stood out to me. It said, Zoom out of the indexes. It helps. And as long-term investors, we couldn't agree more. Inflation has a lot of investors worried, and this is not the first or last time we will see higher or lower than foreseen inflationary conditions. Through these transitory conditions, what will always favor investors is investing in quality companies and more importantly, quality companies that do not have sky-high future earnings baked into their valuations. All right, great. So let's end our special episode. Yeah. Special edition. Special edition. What do we call Special edition. <laughs> um, but as always, we would love to have any feedback. So my email address is on there. You can write me about how aghast you are that Shani does not know who Tom Petty is. Or if you're in Madagascar. Please. Or if you're in Madagascar. <laughs> or if you think it's really mean that Shani didn't go to lunch with me. Um, we would also like any ideas for future shows, any general feedback. And then, of course, we would love to have comments or, uh, or just ratings in your podcast app. So thank you very much for joining.
Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.